We're going to transition to the message, um, the, the scripture passage that Pastor Josh Moody will be preaching. It's in John 14, and he's specifically uh, going to focus on verse 6, but we're going to read for context verses 1 through 7. So John 14, verses 1 through 7, we're going to read. Please stand so we can read God's word. John 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it, if it were not so, would I have told you that I got to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Lord, as we come now to your word, we pray that by your spirit, you would renew our hearts and minds, and as we consider this foundational truth, you would show us its reality and its relevance, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. G.K. Chesterton was once asked, what book would you take with you if you were marooned on a desert island? The famous author G.K. Chesterton what book would you take with you if you were there on the desert island? You had the long days to while away. What work of fiction would you bring with you to keep you entertained? What great work of literature would you make sure accompanied you to the desert island to ensure its survival with you? What, what book would you take with you, G.K. Cheston, if you were marooned on a desert island, and Chesterton, witty as ever, replied, Thomas's practical guide to shipbuilding. <laughs> the question, is Jesus the only way to God, can seem ethereal, academic, intellectual not of great practical relevance. 
But actually, it is the fuel for our evangelism. If we do not believe that Jesus is the only way to God, why on earth would we risk relational damage with a non-Christian to share with them our faith? It is the fuel for our missions. If we do not think that Jesus is the only way to God, why on earth would we risk our own lives or the lives of our children to take the gospel to the most dangerous parts of the world? It is the fuel for our gathering in worship. There are many other things we could be doing on a Sunday morning. Our coffee here is good, but you can probably get better coffee at Starbucks, though some would disagree. And yet... Though it is of such significance, it is also a question that needs to be reframed. And as we consider this question this morning from God's Word, is Jesus the only way to God? We need to begin with reframing it and then fairly consider the objections that people still do have to it even when the question is reframed and then see how Jesus answers the question from this text. We need to begin with reframing it because this question, is Jesus the only way to God, imports with it a set of assumptions that biases the answer in a certain direction. It it puts the person who is being asked on the defensive is Jesus the only way to God, is essentially saying, really? The only way? We live in a global society. There are so many different religions. There are so many good people we know. Are you really saying that Jesus is the only way? All that set of assumptions is imported into the question, is Jesus the only way to God? And yet, from a Bible point of view, those are not the right set of assumptions to address the question. We need to reframe the question. Sometimes you you have to do that in order to get to the truth. You're not ducking the question. You're you're saying, no, you're looking at it the wrong kind of way. uh, Politicians are often, of course, accused of doing this, of dodging the questions in 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 a media interview or something. And for sure, sometimes they do. But sometimes the question is intended to pin you on the horns of dilemma, to put you in a situation where there's no good way out. Is Jesus the only way to God? Is a bit like that. How can you possibly think that your Jesus is better than other people's religions? It frames the question in such a way that it's the only way out of it is to say something that seems rather arrogant. Dismissive, exclusive, 
Of course, we know that some kinds of exclusion, actually, we do want, let alone accept. Uh, For instance, if you were taken to hospital and were seen by a medical doctor, you will be glad that certain kind of people were excluded from being your surgeon. You will be glad that there were certain required qualifications to be a surgeon. That's a kind of exclusion that we embrace and are pleased for. Not all exclusion is bad. We need to reframe the question. And, and, and otherwise, the question can be a bit like being asked, when did you stop beating your wife? Which, of course, is assuming, A, that you have a wife, and B, that you have been beating her. Is Jesus the only way to God? <laughs> Wrong way to look at it. We've got to reframe it. And the way to reframe it is to hear the Bible story, which is why we as a church, one of the reasons why we as a church, get into the Scriptures, because we've got to think at life. We're constantly being bombarded with TikTok videos and Instagram images and media all the time. And we've got to spend at least half an hour a week reframing how we think. See, the Bible tells the story in a different sort of way. According to the Bible, we were all made originally good in relationship with God as our Lord in a loving fellowship with Him. And yet we have all rebelled against Him. And according to the Bible, the just and fair judgment for that rebellion is death, by which the Bible ultimately means eternal separation from the loving goodness of God. You see, that the question, is Jesus the only way to God, is assuming that the issue is one of fairness. How can you possibly say that Jesus is the only way to God? There are so many other options. What, what gives you the right to say that? That's not fair. But the way the Bible tells the story, fairness, well, that's the last thing you want. Fairness is every single human being on the face of the planet spending eternity in hell. That's fair according to what the Bible says. That's justice. How could that possibly be? Look at it like this. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, every springtime in our home, we have to be on the lookout for a new infestation of ants. They seem to appear every springtime in Wheaton. I don't know why. I suppose it's because Wheaton was built on a swamp or something like that. But there are always some new ants come along, and part of my job as the, uh, the husband and father of our household is to kill the ants. I feel no guilt about this whatsoever. They're in my kitchen. They shouldn't be here. I will not tell you how many I've killed. It is a lot. 
You can get various poison, and I've poison ants as well, but there's a certain satisfaction to discovering an ant where it should not be and getting rid of that thing. None of you feel any the worst about me, any the worst about me, because you now know that I've killed an ant or two. But say in our kitchen, instead of an infestation of ants from the neighbor's yard or from our backyard, into our kitchen wandered in the neighbor's cute little dog. It didn't belong there. It's my kitchen. And I killed the thing. How do you feel about me now? I haven't done it, by the way. I might not end up in jail, but I would be in serious trouble. At least I don't think I'd end up in jail. I'm not sure I know too much about the American legal system on that fact. Say instead that a deeply deranged person had their own kitchen next to some other neighbor and the neighbor's small child happened to wander into the kitchen and that deeply deranged individual thought to themselves, they do not belong here, this is my kitchen, get out of here, and killed that child. What penalty could be too big? The nature of the crime is impacted by who the crime is against. To kill an ant is is life. To kill a dog is a big problem, a cute neighbor's dog. To kill a person, to kill a baby... To kill God, the author of all good, the creator of life itself. There's only one just penalty. That's fairness. And once you begin to realize that that is how the Bible tells the story, the question is reframed in your mind. It's it's not like, imagine there's a person who's standing outside a garden, a beautiful garden. You can see there are trees inside leaning over. It's It's an orchard of apples and pears. It's a most beautiful place. There are birds singing. He'd love to get inside that garden, but the garden has a has a ten foot wall all around it, and he, and he can't get in. But there is a door in, and the door is open, and he he'd love to go inside. But instead of going through that door, the person spends all his days wandering around the wall. Banging his head against the wall, asking over and over again, why isn't there another way? It's not rational. Go through the door. The question is not, is Jesus the only way to God from the Bible's point of view? The question is, is there a way? How could there be a way? How could my just penalty be paid? How is it possible? That's the question.
It reframes the whole conversation once you realize it. The fundamental reason why our culture today, with all its issues of exclusivity and exclusion and all this, misunderstands this is because we don't realize the Bible's story. We've lost the narrative of what the Bible is saying. We think too well of ourselves and too little of God. Now, you could say that would be the end of the sermon, but to be fair, as I said at the beginning, we need to reframe the question, but we also need to raise up the kind of questions and objections that people still do have to this, even when it is reframed. Let me give you three quick scenarios to explain the sort of objections people have. Here's scenario number one. You and I are downtown in Chicago. Uh, We're outside Wrigley Field, and we decide that we want to go to... Navy Pier. And so we get out our phone, the Uber app, and we Uber a car, and we get in the car, and we start taking the ride to Wrigley Field. And as we're in the car, we notice that the driver has Arabic writing in all sorts of different places in the car. And we start to ask him questions, and we find out that he's a Muslim. He's from Pakistan originally. In fact, he's got a whole large family of uncles and aunts and cousins still in Pakistan, all Muslims. He's, he's an efficient driver, perfectly nice. Is Jesus the only way to God? Scenario number one. Scenario number two say you are a college student and you're taking some classes at the college of DuPage, COD. And in order to get your associate's degree, uh, one of the classes you have to take is uh, a philosophy class. And in taking that philosophy class, you are introduced to the ancient great philosophers of Plato and Aristotle, who of course lived a long time before Jesus was born. And as you read little excerpts from them, you realize that they are brilliant. Amazing foundational for much of Western society. Is Jesus the only way to God? Scenario number three, and the first of these little three scenarios, say you have a family gathering. It's one of these big family gatherings. Maybe it's for uh, Memorial Weekend or Labor Day or something. You're there with your whole family and uh, uh, Uncle Joe is with you. Now, Uncle Joe grew up in the church. Uh, like a lot of people around uh, Chicago land did when he was young, he would go to church, Sunday school, that sort of thing. But he no longer does go to church. In fact, if you were having an honest conversation with Uncle Joe, he would tell you clearly that he, he doesn't believe in Jesus. He, 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 he's rejected all that. He, he's not offensive about it, but he doesn't believe that anymore. But Uncle Joe, he's the best of you all. He's cared for his own family. He's made good money and he's cared for other parts of his family and made sure they're well provided for. He's always the life and soul of the party at family gatherings. Uncle Joe. Is Jesus the only way to God? 
So having reframed the question, it's not about fairness, it's about mercy. And yet raise the objections that people still do have with these three scenarios. Let's look at what Jesus says. What he says in verse 6 is this. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God because, first, we need rescue, not religion. Note well what Jesus says here. Jesus does not say, this is the way, let me teach you the truth, here are 12 lessons about how to live a good life. He doesn't say any of that. What he says is, I am the way. Imagine you are going fishing on the east coast somewhere, and you're having such a good time that you don't notice that uh, the, uh, the rock on which you're sitting doing your fishing, the tide has begun to come in, and your way back to the Uh, to the coast is now blocked and the tide is rising and you're in mortal danger. What's the way back? Say a lifeguard appears in a boat, comes up to the rock where you're still sitting. Of course, you're glad to see him. And you say to the lifeguard, "Um, is this the way back to the coast? And the lifeguard looks at you and says, no, I am the way. Why? Because you've got to get in his boat and he's going to rescue you. When Jesus says, I am the way, what he is saying is, he's the rescuer. Jesus does not come to bring us a whole new set of religious rules. He does not come to give us an especially profound philosophy of life. Jesus comes because he is the way. It's rescue we need because fairness is us all going to hell. We're on the rock. We're stuck. We can't get back to the coast. What we need is Jesus saying, I am the way. He took our death. He experienced our hell that we might live. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the only way to God because what we need is rescue, not religion. The second, Jesus is the only way to God. Because he is God. And when you grasp this, it will revolutionize how you look at this question. I guarantee you. 
And that's partly why I had uh, Josue read out the whole passage so you could, it's implicit in verse 6, but it's made explicit in verse 7. Jesus carries on and says this to Thomas. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Jesus is the only way to God because he is God. Say, say you um, are going to a school reunion, a high school reunion, and it's been a little while since you've been there, and you want to make sure that you, that you recognize the people when they turn up. I, I sometimes get material from my own old high school that sends pictures of the, uh, of the, the students when they were at high school, and I look at them, and I go, oh boy, they look old, and they look in the mirror and go, well, yeah, I guess I've changed you. Say you're going to that high school reunion. You want to make sure that you attach the right name to the right person. You get out the yearbook and you look through, okay, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, that's so-and-so. Uh, we do the same with the church directory. You, someone says, do you know this person? You go to the church directory. Okay, that's who they are. Now I know who they are. You connect. When you see Jesus, you see God. What that means is, if someone is truly worshipping God, when they encounter the Jesus of the Bible, what they will say is, that's the one I'm worshipping. Because he's God. And if someone is not truly worshipping God, when they encounter the Jesus of the Bible, they will say, that's not what I mean at all. Why? Because they're not worshipping God. Really? There's a story of a man who's driving his car on the highway and uh, the car broke down and he pulled off and popped the hood and began to look inside and he was there for a while and he couldn't figure out what had gone wrong. He was stuck and stuck on this highway. Eventually, another car um, uh, pulled over, stopped. A gentleman got out of the car and said, I think I can help you. He said, oh, I've tried everything. He said, no, I think I can help you. And and uh, the gentleman who pulled over um, looked under the hood as well, got out one single screwdriver and turned a couple of things and said, now I'll try and start it. It's not going to work. He said, you just try. The guy got back into the car, the engine, he turned the engine, the engine just fired right up. He got, I said, well, how do you do that? That's amazing. I mean, who are you? He said, well, actually, my name is Henry Ford. You would think I would know how to fix my car. Jesus is the only way to God because he is God. He knows how to fix you. He made you. Come to him. Don't delay. But then third, Jesus is the only way to God because the alternative is just too horrendous to even consider. If someone says that Jesus is not the only way to God, what they are really saying is 
lots of different ways, lots of different options. Jesus isn't the only way to God. If someone says that, what they're really saying is that God incarnate, who humbled himself to become a man and was obedient to death, even on a cross, was brutally murdered and experienced hell. That's why he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's his attestation that right then he's experiencing the separation from God, the eternal death infinitely poured into him. At that moment, he experienced hell. What that person who says Jesus isn't the only way to God is really saying is none of that was necessary. You don't need that. You can just be a nice person and you're fine. God in Christ didn't need to die. There are lots of other options. It's an alternative to horrendous to consider. And you say, well, okay, look. But I've heard there are many different paths up the mountain. Listen, those different paths are not going up the same mountain. They're pointing in fundamentally, foundationally, utterly different directions. Only Jesus is rescue. He's not religious rules. You say, okay. But I've heard that actually it's a bit like an elephant and there's a lot of blind people who are reaching out to the elephant and they, they seem and feel different parts of the elephant but the, the real truth is bigger than any other religion. What that's really saying along with that coexist bumper sticker that you see around these days, what that's really saying is all the other religions are wrong but mine is right. Because no honest teacher of any religion would say that they're all saying the same thing because they're not which is why that sort of coexist thing is leading to the greatest polarization in western society we have ever seen for the last hundreds of years because it is deeply arrogant you say okay but what about those who've never heard I understand the emotion of that question. I've been, I've lived in countries where there aren't many Christians. I get it. But my dear friend, the Bible was not written for those who have not yet read it. The Bible was written for those who read it. The question is not what about those who've never heard. The question is what about you who has heard? God is sovereign. I think I've told this story before, but it's so powerful in my understanding of this issue that I'll at least flag it again. One time I was on the mission field in a Muslim country, and my plans got totally derailed. And I ended up, in a way that was not my intention, in a dormitory of Iranian college students. I had no idea why I was there. And I started wandering around, uh, talking to, to, to them, getting to know them. And I, I wandered up to one of the doors on this long corridor at random. 
and just knocked on the door. Some chap opened the door, an Iranian. I smiled at him. He smiled at me. I said, you got any time? He said, oh, yeah, come in, have some tea. And so we sat down and started to chat. And as we were getting to know each other, he said, um, so are you an American? He assumed that, uh, that I was an American. I said, no, actually, I'm, I'm from England. I'm English. He said, oh, okay, so um, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, actually, I am a Christian. And he said, good. I've been praying that God would send me someone to tell me about Jesus. This one person, from a human point of view, among a great sea of people, God heard. Of course, you won't be surprised to know I did tell him about Jesus. Sometimes I miss evangelistic opportunities, but I couldn't miss that one. (laughs) I think a number of those Iranians became believers. In fact, the fastest growing church in the world, you know where that is? Iran. Oh, God hears. Don't you worry about theoretical questions. This is practical. Is Jesus your Savior? And if he is, it'll be fuel for your evangelism, fuel for our commitment to missions as a church, and fuel for our worship. Listen, let me finish with this. Um, Eddie Rickenbacker. In Florida, every Friday evening at dusk, would go to a pier on the coast and bring with him a bucket full of shrimp. He was an older gentleman, and people weren't quite sure what he was doing. He brought this bucket of shrimp with him, and instead of fishing with it, he would feed the seagulls as they would come. Every, it was his routine. Every Friday evening at dusk, he would take a bucket of shrimp and he would feed the seagulls in, in this pier in Florida. And as he fed them, he always said the same thing. It's like a mantra to him, a routine to him. He always said, thank you. Thank you. Very strange. Eddie Rickenbacker had been in World War II flying a B-17 across the Pacific when they had crashed into the ocean. After eight days afloat on a raft, they'd run out of all food and water, and Eddie Rickenbacker prayed, Lord, help me. From apparently nowhere, a seagull landed on his head. They knew if they could get that seagull, they would have food. Somehow they managed to grab it. They broke it. And ate it. And they used the entrails to fish. And they survived. What mercy. And so every Friday at sunset, Eddie Rickenbacker would go to the pier with shrimp and feed the seagulls and say, 
Thank you. Thank you. He was broken for you. Live your life saying, thank you. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, we do thank you. Uh, we will thank you as we sing in a moment in Christ alone. Lord, help us to thank you with sharing that message to our friends. Help us, Lord, to thank you as a church with our commitment to missions and progress of the gospel. Help us to live lives deeply grateful for your mercy. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.